baby, <laughs> snuck up on you with a little, well, something I like to do on, uh, on the Patreon channel. Or <laughs> can I call it that? The Patreon channel on the double secret Sovereign Tech feed. <laughs> uh, I like to get, I like to let my geek really fly. Of course, I mean, I let my, I let my geek or nerd, I actually prefer the term nerd really, but whatever, I get it. Um, I prefer to let it fly on, you know, or I, I, I allow to let it fly on the show too, of course. Um, but I really like to let it ride on, on Patreon shows when I can. Um, so here we go. Uh, we've got one for you that, uh, you know, yesterday, of course, we had a Q&A. If you're listening to this, this is getting released on Thursday, uh, December 8th, 2016. Um, and of course, we had a Patreon yesterday on December 7th, So, which uh, some people have already emailed me and said they, they thought was just phenomenal. So thank you for that. Uh, apparently, people like it when I get into the anarchist stuff, not just when I get or the philosophical, I should say, not just when I talk tech. Uh, and that's OK. <laughs> I'll let that out right now. I mean, I, that, like that's that's fine. I never really. Well, I get some emails from people that that, you know, to, to an effect, say, wow, you know, you should be doing a whole show about anarchism. You should be doing this, yada, yada, yada. You know, we don't hear this kind of stuff uh, in, in a lot of other places and everything. And and I appreciate that. I, I, I appreciate that for the compliment that it is. Um, but I mean it. Like, I, I absolutely never, ever, ever wanted, uh, you know, to do... A, I never wanted Sovereign Tech to be just about, like, the philosophy or that I wanted, like it to be somehow some kind of groundbreaking philosophical show. Not that I consider it that, nor has anybody said that. I just, sometimes I feel like that's a little implied by the way some people think about things. And, and I appreciate it. I, I just like, that's, that's not the intent. Because really, at the end of the day, I just want to have fun. <laughs> I want to have a lot of fun. And so the nice thing about doing the Patreon shows is that I get to have fun on them. And I get to talk about all kinds of wild shit. Either I get to take the questions that you have, or if I just feel like running my mouth about something, I get to do that. And one of the beauty, you know, without, without kind of clogging up the feed, because a lot of people, and, and I don't get this either. It's like, okay, well, if something, if an episode shows up in your feed that you don't want to hear, then don't download it. But people treat it like, oh, I thought this was an official episode and this is just about some, you know, bullshit movies or something. What the hell is this doing in my feed? And it's like, uh, okay. <laughs> Like, I, I don't, I don't get it. I'm very selective. I look at what a show's about, you know, and it's show notes and everything, uh, as to whether or not I'm going to listen to it. There are very few podcasts that I listen to where I, no matter what, listen to every single episode, even if at points, maybe I'm just half listening. I make sure that I'm listening to it. Uh, the couple of those shows happen to be, I do listen to security now, which is my favorite podcast on the planet. Uh, I make sure I listen to that every week. And if I can on release day, even though it comes out very late at night, uh, I listen to every episode of school sucks. Um, I listen to, of course, by my friend, uh, Brett Vinat. and I, you know, there, there might be a few others, but like definitely. And I listen to this week in tech pretty much every week, even though that one, I, I, I can wait. <laughs> like I don't feel compelled. Oh, I got to listen to it right now. Really security now is kind of the one podcast where I'm like, Oh, I've got to listen to that. Uh, internet history podcast. I'm still playing catch up with that. Uh, but I do, I do listen to every single episode uh, of, of that. Uh, when it comes out, I do listen to uh, Jedi council, uh, star Wars, Jedi council from collider videos. I listen to that Every single week, every, I mean, like the instant it comes out, I want to be listening to that. That's one of my great ways to keep up on Star Wars news. Um, 
and I won't I won't get into into the Star Wars subject. I already did a little bit of a Star Wars update yesterday. Uh, but you know, speaking of Collider videos, that actually is is kind of a nice segue here because that brings me into why I'm doing this episode right now. So today, um, and they've been doing this here and there on on Collider. Uh, Collider, if you don't know, is a well, Sovereign Tech is high impact science and tech news. Collider is high impact entertainment news, and they do all kinds of different shows. But they have a daily show where they kind of cover the latest movie news uh, effectively. And uh, and like I said, they have the aforementioned Jedi Council, which I think is actually really really good. Uh, they they do a good job of analysis, as well as a couple of the people on there are, in my opinion, they're genuine Star Wars super fans, which is. You know, this is a funny thing. So, so I, slight tangent here, okay? Um, all right, I'll hold it for a second. I just want to finish explaining. Okay, so they did today, they did a top five uh, video game movies, as in movies based off of a video game, not movies about a video game uh, or whatever. And they were particular in that they had kind of theatrical releases. I'm going to cheat a little bit on that. Uh, but... Anyway, like I heard their list and like I was just so, and and it's fine like to disagree with people. That's kind of why you do a top five because it gets people to react in all this. And like I just, so many of what what the people were saying on there, like John Campia and John Schnepp and, you know, and and all of, you know, Christian Harloff and all of them and even Mark Ellis. Like I was like, you guys are so full of crap. I'm like, no, some of these movies were genuinely great and you're just ripping on them. And obviously they don't have... You know, and I'm going to, I'll talk a little bit about their list and I'm going to break down mine. I'm going to do a top eight video game movies. That's what this is all about. Uh, Of course, you'll see the title long before you ever hear me say that on the show (laughs) when you go to to download it or listen to it or whatever. Um, But uh, but I'm going to do a top eight video game movies. And I actually did like kind of a, a, almost a two-parter on video game films and sort of the issues with them and all that. And because there are some issues with them, no doubt about it, but that some of them have been genuinely pretty good and why this stuff doesn't translate very well. Um, I've done that on the prime episodes of Sovereign Tech. So, but I I don't know that I ever really did like a top eight. So I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you a top eight here of that. But now I want to talk about this fan super fan thing. I think this is an interesting little side conversation before we get into the list. Uh, And that is uh, when I was growing up, you know, in in the late eighties, nineties, you know, and all that. I, I graduated high school in 99. So if that, if that helps you, I was class of 99. If that helps you understand my time frame, like people calling themselves fans of something other than say a football team or, you know, some sports team, what, like that wasn't commonplace. Like now lots of people use the term fan. And in fact, it's gotten to the point, you know, you talk about things like word degradation. That is, you know, degradation, appropriation, whatever, not cultural appropriation, obviously. But, um, but like call it, somebody saying they're a fan, say like they're a fan of Star Wars. That could fucking mean anything. <laughs> like you, you have no frame of reference when they say that. Uh, like when, now back when in the 90s, when you said you were a fan of Star Wars, like, okay, oh, so you read Shadows of the Empire. Oh, so you've read, you know, KJ's Jedi Academy trilogy. Oh, so, you know, you know, Zon, you know. Oh, so you're, you're buying issues of Star Wars Insider and all this stuff, right? I mean, like, like that, that's what fan meant. Or like, you know, you were, you were getting in, a, you know, like you knew something about the toys and you hashed out 40 bucks for that Power of the Force Princess Leia uh, edition with the right serial number on her leg. You know, like, like those sorts of things. That's what a fan used to mean. Now, it doesn't mean that fucking shit at all because... Well, 
whatever. There's a bunch of reasons for that. And, you know, it's very easy to blame the Internet for everything. And I kind of want to, but I won't. <laughs> so, but now there's the term superfan. And really, superfan, as far as I can tell, is just what fans used to be. As in where, like, these are people that they soak up every little ounce of whatever they're into. You know, if you're into Star Wars, you're reading the comics, you're reading the books. You know, you're, I mean, maybe you're not so much into the toys because that's just turned into madness now. You know, the reason, you know, seriously, the reason that, like, Star Wars toys kind of had a resurgence, had nothing to do with episode one because the same problem happened that's happening now where there was just this market saturation. There was too much shit. Not to say I minded it, but I understand in the popular mindset that there was just too much fucking Darth Maul crap. You know, even though Maul is now one of the best characters in the saga. Um, but like the reason Power of the Force, like when that when they did those re-release of the action figures, say in 97 and all that, I think the reason that took off so much and why I even started buying into it back in 97 was because it was so rare. There was only a few figures. You could keep up with it. Like you could actually have a complete collection. And and that that was that was the beauty um, of that. So anyway, so I don't think a super fan necessarily has to be so much into the merchandise, maybe a couple things here and there, but whatever. I'm, I'm not here to tell you what words necessarily mean or, you know, how you need to define them. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, super fan, this is, this is the new term. You're probably going to hear me start using it a lot, uh, because I am a super fan for so many things, which I think brings me to perhaps my unique perspective on a lot of stuff is because I don't just watch the movie of anything. Okay, I am a whatever franchise I'm into, or even if it's a movie I'm going to see, nine nine times out of ten, I am a walking goddamn encyclopedia. You know, like I have totally bought into what the marketers have put out, and I just like I eat everything up, everything up. Even like you know, t- take something like a single movie. Even take a 2005, uh, you know, Peter Jackson's King Kong. I love that movie, even the super extended version. Fucking great. Give me ten hours of that. I thought it was awesome. I read, I read the prequel book. I still have the prequel book. Uh, you know, like, the, the, what is it, like Journey to Skull Island or whatever it is, the, the prelude to the movie. I read that. Uh, I have the book, uh, like, kind of the, the, the encyclopedia of that little universe, World of Kong. I have that. Like, and, and I just, I eat it up. Yeah, give me more. Give me more. You know, like, I want to be lost in that universe. You know, and so whatever, and I mean, and of course I played the video game to no end too. Uh, you know, so that, that's, that's how I roll. When I'm into something, I'm fucking into it. And so I think that kind of gives me a unique perspective because I can see, and there's another point where I have a unique perspective. I want to talk about that and then we're going to break into our list. Um, so, so, you know, I, like, I can see sort of like maybe the things that didn't make the cut but we're part of the story and I'll know that they were part of the story. And so I have that extra ounce of appreciation, right? Um, like, and, and this is going to come up actually in one of the movies on this list to where I read the novel to it. So I know a lot of what was happening behind the scenes in the movie when people who just went and saw the movie didn't get it all. Now, are you required to, you know, to be like me and, and soak up every little piece of information you can about it? Um, and, uh, you know, to, to be able to understand the movie and appreciate the movie. No, of course you're not required to do that, but then understand that there are some people that did, and that can change the quality of a film. Okay. Just like, you know, for example, say, uh, here's a great movie, Dune, David Lynch's Dune, you know, from the eighties. Okay. If you, if you read the book, you have a 
far greater appreciation of that film because it is bringing this wild world that you could barely imagine. And I can only imagine, <laughs> no pun intended, I, I can only imagine what it was like, you know, pre-1984 when, when, when David Lynch's Dune came out. Like, how did you envision, especially with the wild covers that, you know, that the Dune books had, like, what did all of this look like? And, and David Lynch's Dune is important because Frank Herbert, the author of Dune, was on set to be able to talk about it and to lay it out for you exactly, you know, like he had input. The creator had input. So that's important. Okay, so you can appreciate, even though like a lot of the critics are like, what the fuck is this movie? Or even when people went to theaters, you know, I know this story, how when you went to the theater to see back in 1984, when you went to go see David Lynch's Dune, they actually gave you a card, like they gave you a card that uh, like a one sheet that explained all of the characters in the movie because the movie wasn't going to do it for you. And so, but if you read the book, well, you fucking know everything. You're just getting visualization and it's stunning. Like that movie still looks so good. I mean, it's not like Blade Runner where it still looks perfect, but it still looks so goddamn good. Um, so, you know, there's, there's really, I, I think you, there's two or three different ways. I mean, actually there's probably infinite ways, you know, maybe four or five I could think of, I guess off the top of my head, ways that you could look at a movie to where a movie could actually be really, really fucking good. Even though if somebody's just going, you know, for a matinee night or, well, matinee is during the day, right? But let's just say, even if you're just going for a Saturday night matinee or something, you, you know, you, the average person might not get it, what this movie is saying. And so they think it sucks when somebody who's like a super fan, say, totally gets what's going on. And they're like, oh, that was so good. And they talk about it for eons. So that's what, you know, that's, that's a little extra layer of perspective, I think, to have on a lot of films. And I don't expect everybody to have all of the free time that I had as a young person, you know, uh, you know, to be able to do that. I certainly don't have it now. Um, I mean, I've got to be super selective in the franchises that I'm into. I just do, uh, you know, because I just don't have time. You know, I don't, I don't expect that, but understand that there are people like that. So there are people who could genuinely, genuinely like something, even though the internet tells you that was terrible. Because, you know, the internet decided what a terrible movie, right? Or because Rotten Tomatoes, like, you can trust those fuckers. <laughs> Even though Rotten Tomatoes is just an aggregate, it's not like an actual person, right? But anyway, so the other aspect that I can appreciate movies for, and then I promise we will get into our top eight here. The other way, you, I, the, at least that I can understand it, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm anything special. I'm not, I am not telling that to you. Okay. There's people that are like this. I guess there's people that are not just like, not everybody's Tony Hawk. Okay. Some people can skateboard really well. Others cannot. There you have it. Okay. So I consider myself, and actually I don't just consider myself. I have the, I have the judgment of my peers and, and I hear it from lots of you, frankly, and I'm honored and I appreciate, you know, all the kind words you send my way. I am a creative. Okay. I like, I am a creator. I create things. I, you know, I am good. I like to think I'm very good at telling stories. I don't have to say that. Other people will tell you that. You can go listen to last week's episode of Sovereign Tech, episode 202. And you have two lovely, wonderful ladies that will tell you, you know, that I'm a good storyteller. Great. Okay. So let, let's just, let's take their opinion as is. Okay. So I can appreciate the creative process. I can appreciate what it takes. I understand nuance. Like, and I understand the creator wanting to put in, you know, very personal Easter eggs and things like this, right, into a film, let's say. Um, and because of that, I think I get, and, and obviously I'm not the only one that does this, 
You know, but I think I get a very unique, I, I have a very unique look. Not unique, but I have a, a more, a rarer look at, at a lot of films because I can understand what they were, tr- what a creator was trying to do. And I can appreciate that. That doesn't mean he did a good job of it, but I can appreciate what somebody was trying to do and trying to get out there. And if you ever, you know, if you decide to take a creative path in anything that you do and take it very seriously, I think you get a, a, you know, you, you look on, on any form of, of media, of multimedia, you know, entertainment, whatever, with very new eyes, very, very new eyes. And things change for you. You know, you, you, you learn to appreciate this stuff in different ways. It doesn't mean it was done well, but you could learn to appreciate it. And that can create a, a fondness, a likeness for something that perhaps the rest of the internet doesn't like. So all of those things are things to consider, you know, and, and, and just, and this actually, I mean, this gives you insight into how I look at things, you know, because I have those couple extra angles at which I look at every single thing, every little form of entertainment. Okay. You don't have to join me. There's nothing wrong. If you don't do things that way, if you don't look at things that way, that's perfectly fine. Value subjective, yada, 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 yada. I mean, there's some objectivity certainly, uh, in, in entertainment. I mean, like, I think one of the easy objective metrics of entertainment is, is there a limit or what is the limit? How, you know, how hard is the limit of how far a piece of entertainment can explore um, the human condition? Are there limitations on that? And if there are, then in some ways, objectively, something is, you know, there, there is an inferior metric there objectively. Okay, for example, if you are watching something and you know for a fact, say because of who's making it or whatever, um, you know, you have this, say you have like an adult saga of some kind, okay? If, if the characters aren't allowed to have threesomes, right? Um, but then in another, say, competing uh, franchise, I shouldn't say saga, but a competing franchise, they are allowed to have threesomes. Are there not limitations on the other franchise? Uh, you know, limitations on expressing, you know, all the parts of humanity. So that doesn't mean that, that the other series is, is necessarily better, that the other franchise is better, but it does mean that objectively there are limitations on this other franchise. And so there's places it can't go. Right. So, I, I mean, in, in minor ways, there are objective differences in something being, you know, inferior or superior, or just having a lot more ability to parlay onto a screen. Um, but yes, largely value is subjective. So however you feel about this stuff, because, and believe me, this list, I'm sure <laughs> is going to have a lot of subjective value for a lot of people, because I, I know that I'm not going to be agreed with <laughs> on, a, on a lot of uh, what I have to say here. So anyway, all of that said, let's get into it. This is the top eight video game movies. Okay. Now my, my criteria is that they are they are based on a video game. It's not the other way around. Like you could say, like there's great video game or like movie-based video games. Like for example, Enter the Matrix, right? Was an awesome, uh, uh, you know, video game that, but it was from, a, it was based off of a movie. You know, the movie series was first and then they made the game. Uh, no, this has to be the other way around to where originally it's a video game and then it ends up in theaters. And that's the other criteria, except for one, the other criteria is that it had to have been, it had to have a theatrical release. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to lay it out, uh, like that, but there, I'm going to make one caveat and it's going to be eight films and, uh, I'm not going to do them in any, any particular order either. Uh, except for the first one, I will, I will say that that is absolutely the best. 
so uh, let's get into this list. So let's just get right into number one. I mean, in fact, this is different than how I usually, usually you save the first for last, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was reminded of some kind of scripture there for a second. But <laughs> but you do, you know, usually usually you do number one at the end. Well, I'll do it at the top of the heap here uh, just to just to kind of get it out of the way. And this is an obvious one. And this is one actually that on, on Collider, on that episode that I mentioned where they did the top five video game movies, uh, this was also their number one. And I think for most people, this actually ends up being their number one video game based movie uh, because it's actually really good. <laughs> like, and in fact, I, I like the way that, that John Campia was talking about it. One of the hosts on Collider, the way he was talking about it on their top five is he said, like, it's so cheesy. He said, but it's all done right. Like, and, and you knew how hard they were trying to actually kind of stick with the game and all of this, like, you know, it just delivered and it had a great soundtrack. Of course, of course, the Mortal Kombat soundtrack is just, I mean, it's, it's legendary. Like it's legendary to, to the point of, uh, <laughs> You know, it's like like that kind of thing is almost a trope. You know, the Mortal Kombat, you know, the, you know, the techno house and all that, right? Uh, I mean, it's so many things either copied it or, you know, or, or pay some kind of homage uh, uh, to it. You know, it's cliche now, really. But you know, how does how do how does any cliche come into existence? Because at some point, somebody did a really good job of it. Or, you know, they did a really good job of it being funny, I guess. But in this case, like, it really, really worked with the, you know, with the movie. Now, of course, this movie came out in 1995, and it actually holds, it holds a bit of a memory for me. Um, because I saw it twice in theaters. Of course, I was 14, about 14 years old. And, uh, like, this was the first movie I, now, the first movie I ever went to completely on my own was Hackers, which came out, you know, around the same time. But then Mortal Kombat was kind of the one I got to see on my own after that. Like while my mom was shopping at, at the mall, um, this would have been Sangertown Mall in New York. While she was shopping there, uh, you know, I was able to go do that. And then also, though, here's the interesting thing, is that I was able to, I actually got to take my little brother, Stephen. I took him to go see this movie, like not long after. So that's how I got to see it twice is because I was taking Stephen to it. And... Like, I mean, and it was worth it both times. And it was so fucking good. I mean, like, there's such, there are so many, yeah, it's cheesy, corny, yada, yada. But there are so many great lines uh, in this that that just, man. <laughs> like, when Johnny Cage is fighting Goro, okay? I, I mean, it was great. You know, he kind of does the nut punch and everything, which is exactly out of the video game, which was which is awesome. And, of course, you know. Anyway, it was very, it was a, I think it was a laugh out loud moment. I think it's still a laugh out loud moment because nobody expects it. Even people that never played the video game. Like if you played the video game, you know, that's one of Johnny, Johnny Cage's moves, right? As long as you're playing the Genesis or the arcade version or the, the DOS version. Woo. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that, that was great. And then when Goro's coming, cause you know, when, when they first meet up, Goro kind of takes his sunglasses, takes Johnny Cage's, you know, kind of signature sunglasses and crunches them. And then when, of course, when Johnny Cage beats Goro or, you know, kind of knocks him off the ledge, he's like, those are, those are $500 sunglasses, asshole. Like, that was such a cool line. <laughs> it just worked. And I never really saw that actor in much of anything else. I forget the actor's name who played Johnny Cage. I thought he did a dynamite job. Uh, but you never really saw him in any other movies, or at least not, not that I really uh, recall. And speaking of the actors, I mean, you had Christopher Lambert playing Raiden. That was awesome because, honestly, Highlander was a hot ticket at that time. 
Like Highlander was at its peak of popularity, really, uh, which is such a great franchise, which is hard to believe. The original Highlander from 1986, even though Highlander at the time was really popular, not because of the movies, uh, but because of, um, you know, because of Adrian Paul in, in the Highlander TV show, which is just phenomenal. One of my favorite shows of all time. Um, but it's hard to believe it's 2016. 1986 was when the original Russell Mulcahy, you know, Christopher Lambert starred Highlander movie came out. Unbelievable to think that that's 30 years. That boggles my fucking mind. I remember buying the 10th anniversary edition. <laughs> like of, like of, of the of the whole shtick, or maybe it's no, it's like the fifteenth anniversary edition, um, like DVD, and I thought that that was just the greatest goddamn thing ever uh, <laughs> of Highlander. But we're not talking about Highlander; we're talking about Mortal Kombat. But Christopher Lambert delivered; like he was funny, he was cool. You took him seriously. Partly you took him seriously because he really had, uh, particularly in you know, kind of in the 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 more of the fantastical genre, the more of the fantasy genre, which I guess Mortal Kombat would fall under, and the action genre, certainly, which Mortal Kombat would fall under. You, you know, he had, he had presence. You know, he, he, had, he had the panache coming off of Highlander and maybe even some of the other movies he did, like Fortress and some of this other stuff, which, you know, had, they had degrees of following, certainly. You know, it's not Greystoke, but, I mean, you know, there, there, was, there was some following there uh, at the time for Lambert. And then, of course, you had, you had Robin Cho doing, you know, playing Liu Kang. He did a phenomenal job, and he would end up being in Mortal Kombat Annihilation as well. Uh, you had Kerry Tagawa, the great Kerry Tagawa, who is just a legend in, in really the entire speculative fiction kind of movie business. I mean, he's been in everything from Babylon 5 to Stargate. You know, Kerry Tagawa is just all over the place. But him playing Shang Tsung, he brought Shang Tsung to life. Like, at any time you think Shang Tsung, I guarantee you people think of Kerry Tagawa. And he, he delivered the whole, it has begun. I mean, that, I mean, you know, it's just, it's a line that gets used now, you know, <laughs> by, by everybody. It's part of the, the cultural lexicon, I guess you could say. Yeah, it was Lyndon Ashby that played Johnny Cage. And I, I don't know, like, I think I saw him in some Skinamax films, which I'm a huge fan of. Uh, but, but, you know, can't remember much else that he did. Uh, the gal playing Sonya, Bridget Wilson. Very, very, you know, I mean, she was just a, you know, she played in a lot, like she was in some Adam Sandler movies. She played in a lot of, you know, movies in the 90s where she was kind of the heartthrob. And because she was hot. I mean, let's just say it. She was fucking hot. And she did a great job as, uh, you know, as, as Sonya. Uh, lot, just, just tons of great actors all the way around. I, I, I really thought that the actors delivered all the way um, in this. And the director, you know, this was not, not really the first film, but this is what turned me on to the work of actually my favorite director, Paul W.S. Anderson who I am just a huge, huge fan of and who may appear again on this list. Uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, of course, is you know, well-known for doing Soldier, another one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, which is kind of a side quill to Blade Runner. Uh, he, did the, you know, he did Mortal Kombat. Uh, he did the Resident Evil movies. He's done, I mean, just, just tons. Of, he's done some, some terrible, he did the Death Race movies. He's done some terrible movies too. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Uh, <laughs> like Pompeii was an atrocity of a film. And I can't believe he put that out there. But... I, I like I love Paul W.S. Anderson's work. And when he has a lot more creative control, which I think was kind of the problem with Pompeii, when he has a lot of creative control, he can really deliver the goods. And I think he did so um, with, uh, with, with Mortal Kombat, with, with this first film. Uh, of course, the music, you know, again, we already mentioned that, was, was just phenomenal. I mean, there, there was all the pieces were put together just right um, in, in the first, you know, in the 95 Mortal Kombat 
uh, uh, movie. Now, interestingly, this, I mean, this movie was so popular, rightfully so, that they did get a sequel, and that was Mortal Kombat Annihilation. And really, the only person that returns for that is Robin Cho, you know, to play Liu Kang. Uh, and I'll admit it, Annihilation, bad movie. Like, <laughs> that might be the first time that, because it, it, it only came out a couple of years after, too. I don't know how they didn't get everybody else. Like, you know, they even replaced Christopher Lambert. Like, what's the deal? And, and it, it's a shame because the first movie ended off. I mean, you see Shao Kahn at the end and everything. And, and it was, I mean, it ended perfectly. Like, it even had the great song from Orbital playing. Uh, d- damn, that was good. And, and so, like, how they fucked it up so bad with, with the 1997 sequel with, with Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which also had, admittedly, it had a great soundtrack. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. Um, I don't know if all the creative juices went elsewhere, uh, because, you know, not long after that, you had, uh, they made, what was it, uh, Defenders of the Realm. There was a cartoon. I remember it being on the USA Network. I don't know where else it showed up, but it was a Saturday morning cartoon. And it was actually Defenders of the Realm. It only went a, a, like a season. It only went like 13 episodes. It kind of had that action hour where it was Defenders of the Realm, and then it was the Street Fighter, um, the Street Fighter cartoon, which was pretty good too. But Defenders of the Realm was a great cartoon. Uh, I mean, and there was action figures for it and everything. Obviously, I, you know, I jumped on those, <laughs> uh, you know, back in 95. Um, I, I don't think I stopped playing with action figures till like, I was 16, 17. I don't know about you. I'd be curious to actually hear from you as far as, like, when did you stop playing with action figures? That'd be a great topic to bring up in Q&A or to bring up in a Patreon episode is talking about, like, kind of action figures in the 80s and 90s. That'd be a hell of a conversation because I was definitely into them at that point, and, and I didn't let go of them for a long, long time. <laughs> and I kind of, I still have a Duke Nukem action figure. Anyway, getting off topic. So you had the, you had the cartoon, Defenders of the Realm, which was really good, which is a separate, it, it's a sequel, it's a direct sequel to... The, the 95 Mortal Kombat film. However, it takes place in a different continuity than Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which is probably just as well. Like, that, that's okay. Like, if you didn't like Annihilation like I did, then just appreciate Defenders of the Realm because it takes place right after the, right after the first film. And it actually kind of leads into Mortal Kombat 3, which is, which is interesting too. Uh, but you also got, out of the, you know, thankfully, out of the success at least of the first film and, of course, of the, the gaming franchise uh, up until that point, you, uh, we ended up with Mortal Kombat Conquest, which was a live-action show that was, what was it, on T, uh, TBS or TNT? You know, one, one of those, TNT, I guess it was, because I watched it when it came out. I actually videotaped it. Uh, that show was awesome. That had to do with uh, um, Kung Lao. Oof, boy, that took me a second, uh, which, of course, is an ancestor of Liu Kang. Um, that had to do with Kung Lao, and it was a Tarja, and I forget who the other character was, but that was... Uh, that was a really, really, or was it Tanya? Shit. Anyway, I'd have to look it up. Uh, but I, I loved the, the, the show, Mortal Kombat Conquest, was great. That, that didn't last long either. Might have gotten a second season. Uh, but just a, just a very enjoyable show that fortunately we got because of the success of the very first Mortal Kombat movie. Uh, so Mortal Kombat was, was you know, in, in a lot of ways was like that, that fran- it was that gaming franchise that was able to transcend into everywhere else. Uh, you know, it had a, had a, a fairly successful uh, comic book line. Um, the, you know, the action figures did well. Uh, and now, I mean, Mortal Kombat's still around. You know, Mortal Kombat X is a badass fucking game. I love it. <laughs> and, and, you know, now, I mean, your, your real test of, of how viable your franchise is is when other franchises start invading yours. Like, you know, in Mortal Kombat X, you have, I mean, how many, you have the Alien, you have Predator in the, the other Mortal Kombat, you have Jason Voorhees and, you know, Freddy Krueger and all that. I mean, like... The, 
it's it's a it's a thing. <laughs> so so good, you know. And I mean, it's a bunch of franchises that came in. It's not just like a special thing, like with Soul Calibur four, right? Or three was it, where you had Star Wars characters, or you had Spawn, or you had Legend of Zelda, which that made sense since it was on the GameCube. That was Soul Calibur two, that one. Uh, but anyway, whatever. Um, which you know. I, Talk about a series that's dying for a movie to get made, Soul Calibur. That has to fucking happen at some point. I'm just putting that out there right now. That really has to happen. So Mortal Kombat, definitely number one on the list. It is the, I mean, and it's just, I just think it's it's like, it's a great movie. It's one that I think is enjoyable. That's why it was so successful, even if you never played the games or didn't take in any of the other media. You know, it, it was it was just that damned good. Uh, so, so, you know, I'll, I'll give it to Mortal Kombat on that. Um, all right, so let's let's get into uh, another one here on the list. Now, I mean, while we're talking Mortal Kombat, why don't we get to you know number two here? Now, again, after after Mortal Kombat, there's no real like level of importance necessarily or, or level of greatness. Like they're just they're just the top eight. Like I'm, I'm not I, I don't think I could really break them down in such a way. Uh, but anyway, the, the next one, let's just do this. I mean, it, and because it was the competitor for Mortal Kombat. Uh, that being Street Fighter. Now, the movie for Street Fighter, okay, obviously based off of Street Fighter 2, the wildly successful and popular game series that, you know, again, was competing with Mortal Kombat uh, in the 90s. And really, even to this day, Street Fighter 5 is, you know, the thing, and it's great. Or, well, depending on the gameplay is kind of great. Some of the stuff Capcom has been doing around it is not great, but whatever. Uh, so the movie Street Fighter now technically got rushed and came out before Mortal Kombat did. Street Fighter came out in 1994. I did see this in theaters. Obviously, I didn't go alone since the first movie I saw alone uh, was, um, uh, was, was Hackers. But, uh, you know, I went and saw this in theaters and like it was in theaters for all of maybe two weeks. Which at the, I mean, today it seems like that's commonplace because there's so many movies to come out. Like they just keep running them, running them through in your local theater. As to where at the time, a movie only coming, you know, only being in theaters for two weeks was sort of unheard of back then. Like, you know, usually you'd have movies uh, that would be in for a month or two, you know, if not longer. You'd, you'd have these really long runs in theaters back in, uh, back in you know, the 90s and, and the 80s. Um, and I'm sure beforehand, you know, before then too. Uh, so I kind of got the hint that a lot of people didn't like Street Fighter just because when I would go to the mall and I'd go to the mall all the time, it wasn't there for long. <laughs> that was kind of my hint. Uh, and of course, this is the Jean-Claude, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, uh, you know, vehicle. Like he was kind of the main star here. Uh, and he was certainly, he was, I don't want to say he was in his waning days because this came out just after Hard Target, which was a success um, in which, by the way, they just came out with Hard Target too. <laughs> I'm a huge Jean-Claude Van Damme fan. I mean, I am a huge fucking fan. I watch all of his stuff. Even his direct-to-video stuff, I think it's great. Uh, like, And he can still make a great movie. Um, Assassination Games, awesome. From 2011, one of, the, one of his best movies that he's ever made. And I mean that. It's just a great film. Uh, that new Kickboxer, was it Kickbox? Was it Resurrection? The new, the, or Vengeance? Kickboxer Vengeance, I think is the name of it. The, there was a new pick, Kickboxer that came out this year, too, that was also just, just great. Um, what an awesome film. So anyway, um, big, big fan of, of Van Damme. And so this was the movie, I think, that started to put him on the way out as far as being a box office heavyweight. Uh, and, well... I mean, I get it. I understand why people don't like it that much. It has very little to do with the video game whatsoever. So even if you are the type that is into 
like you know like me where you soak everything up like you're you're totally in everything street fighter you got all the udo comics you know you got you're, you're watching i don't know whatever well the cartoon series at least in america wasn't a thing at the point at the time uh which by the way the american cartoon series of street fighter that you saw in usa is you know wholly different from all of the Street Fighter, you know, OVAs and, uh, you know, and movies and animated series that came out in Japan. Those are amazing. Like, those are brilliant. You want to see great Street Fighter shit. I will definitely say to you, don't watch the movie. Go watch, you know, go watch the animated series, you know, from Japan and everything. They have to do with Street Fighter. All of that is just wonderful. Um, and, of course, there's been other Street Fighter movies. There was, uh, what was it, Legend of Chun-Li that had the gal from, uh, from Smallville in it. Um, that was uh, kind of rough to watch, <laughs> there, but there've been a couple others that were actually okay. Um, but anyway, this movie, what really delivers with this movie is yes, it is cheesy. It is ridiculous. It has very little to do with the video game itself, but it's just kind of so over the top and so kind of ridiculous. And Jean-Claude Van Damme like delivers some of his best lines and some of his best stuff that that it really it makes it work, and it's kind of a shame too because uh, the director Stephen D'Souza, who is also you know lar- in many ways behind the screenplay, um, I, like he's really good. Like I, I I mean this is the guy that made Running Man, you know the Arnold Schwarzenegger Running Man. Uh, this is the guy that that gave us the cartoon series of Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Uh, Stephen D'Souza, I mean, has been a big part of a lot of things you probably love if you grew up in the eighties and nineties. Uh, so it's really, a, you know, a pity um, that, you know, this this wasn't more. And I, I kind of have to believe that it failed as a, mo- as a standalone movie, as a movie on its own merits, be- prob- maybe because, not because it was based off of Street Fighter, but because I think they were rushing it to get, ahead, to get a release ahead of Mortal Kombat. Like, I think they wanted to be kind of the first ones. And, and I think, you know, the film ends up kind of flopping for that. Uh, but man, like... Some of, you know, Raul Julia was in it. I mean, there's, there's some great actors involved. Uh, Kylie Minogue, you know, the, the singer, who I, I think is amazing. Um, she was in it. She played Cammy. She, you know, for her bit part, she did a great job. Uh, they got everybody, you know, in it. Zangief is in it. Uh, you know, the way they treated, like, I, I mean, I'm disappointed. You know, probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite Street Fighter character might be uh, Blanca. They, they, Blanca was terrible in this. <laughs> Raul Julia wasn't exactly the best, uh, you know, bison, unfortunately, because you didn't believe he was this, you know, Russian heavy. Um, Chun-Li was fine. I I thought she actually, she did a pretty good job. Uh, So this was totally, you know, off of, like, the only thing carrying this movie, let's just face it, was Jean-Claude Van Damme. But he had enough star power and, and enough, uh, you know, force of personality, I think at the time to really carry it, to make, to make what was in it cool enough. Like, I mean, I'll give you all the, not all of them, cause there's so many great lines in it, but I mean, some of the best lines, you know, like when the, the UN, the, the representative from the UN, you know, says to him, have you lost your mind, Colonel, you know, and, and just cause, cause Van Damme is, uh, you know, <laughs> he's, uh, he's playing, the character of Guile in it, you know, Colonel Guile. And he just, he just points at him and says, no, you lost your balls. <laughs> so good. Or then the speech that he gives where like, because the UN says, okay, no, we're going to pay Bison's ransom and all this. So, you know, you're not going to go invade Bison or anything. The speech he gives 
is so good. I mean, it's cheese. It's status cheese. I know. But it was, it's so, you know, the, the, the whole thing. You know, who's gonna, who wants to go home and who wants to go with me? I mean, it was, it was so cool. <laughs> you, I mean, I could quote the whole film. Like, I watched that so many times. Just because Van Damme, he, he, just, he just carried it. He just delivered. He was so badass in the film, even though the film around it was pretty rough. He still made it happen. So, so it, it holds a special place in my heart. And I, I put it on, I, I put it in the top eight easy just on Van Damme's performance alone. Like, because a movie can, you know, enough, that, that, that can happen. Uh, otherwise, there's, there's not a whole lot to go on. Um, I've watched the movie countless times. Uh, I, I really have. When the DVD came out, I was all over it. I was so excited about it. And, you know, actually watching the making of it and all of this, I mean, it is, is, is pretty fascinating stuff if you can ever see it. Um, now, there was a video game made based on the movie. And what's ironic is, <laughs> is that the, the, you know, Street Fighter, the movie, the game which I think it came out for Sega CD, was they, they pretty much, instead of it looking like Street Fighter 2, where it's all the pixel art and everything, they went with the Mortal Kombat model. Okay, to where they made it look like, you know, where they were doing the, the like, kind of the motion capture, um, uh, you know, art for the game, where it looked like real people and all that, just kind of digitized. Um, so, yeah, Street Fighter. Street Fighter, the movie, the game... I mean, it was glitchy, you know, it, it had its issues. I don't mind them, like, getting into that. In fact, I thought it was interesting that they were, like, moving into Mortal Kombat's kind of realm, uh, you know, as, as far as, like, game game look. Uh, but anyway, the movie was, it was fine. Uh, so let, let's let's move on to another one. Again, t- total sheer force personality on that one because of, uh, you know, Van Damme. He, he carried the whole thing. So maybe for this, we'll, uh, we'll stick in the year. We're in 1994. So fine, let, let's, let's go to the next one. And this is a movie, this is something that, well, I, I just have to give it style points for a few things. So the movie is Double Dragon. You might not have even known that there was a Double Dragon, uh, you know, like theatrical film made. Okay. <laughs> now, Double Dragon's one of the greatest game series of all time, in my opinion. Uh, in fact, even the recent uh, entries like Double Dragon Neon, I thought was fantastic. Uh, obviously, Double Dragon, well, yeah, two and three. It's always kind of tough for me to decide between two and three. Probably two because as far as being the best video game of all time. Um, and I was really into Double Dragon as a young person. Not because necessarily, I mean, the video games were great and I loved playing them. But there was a cartoon series, okay, which you can actually see the entire cartoon series on YouTube. Um, it went two seasons. It was fairly popular. It was really well done. Like, I thought it was really cool. You know, I had Jimmy and Billy Lee and all that. Uh, you know, the powers of the Dragon Masters and everything. It was, I, I enjoyed the hell out of that cartoon. I can remember watching it, like, nonstop. Uh, so, you know, I was really into kind of Double Dragon, even though there's not, like, any kind of, like, grand mythology around it necessarily that you can attach yourself to. There certainly was with, with the cartoon, um, with the... The movie, now the movie is a very, very different animal. Uh, it had, a, a, was it Mark, De, Mark DeCascos was in it? And then you had Scott Wolf. Now Scott Wolf, Mark DeCascos, a lot of people might not know. Uh, but Scott Wolf, people would eventually know because he was, uh, a very, he was very famous on a show that was popular in the 90s called Party of Five, which I don't know if anybody remembers that. If you don't, good for you. I, I try not to. All right. <laughs> Between that and Melrose Place and 90210, I don't want to know. Right. <laughs> I, just, I just don't. So Scott Wolf was, was probably the most famous, uh, but it also had 
Um, it had Alyssa Milano in it, and it actually had Robert Patrick, Robert Patrick being best known for the T-1000, Alyssa Milano being most popular for being goddamn hot as hell, either an embrace of the vampire, charmed, uh, and you don't want to talk about, um, you know, who's the boss with, uh, you know, with Tony Danza or anything. Uh, but, woo, uh, <laughs> you, you know, Alyssa Milano helped make this, and she was great in it, I mean, and she, and she looked phenomenal. She was definitely there, you know, obviously for, well, first off, she can act. Second off, you know, she can she can actually, like, you know, she has some some ability and and also, you know, she was sort of the eye candy in the film. And in fact, there's points in the movie where she is like kind of crawling through um, sort of a sewer of sorts. And there's very blatant, you know, shots of, of her ass and a pair of cut off jeans and everything. And, you know, like they kind of break the fourth wall to where, you know, Jimmy and Billy, you know, the two the double dragon characters, you know, are looking at it. And obviously me being, a, you know, being a young person, whoo, I was on it. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, hey, all right. You know, but she had the short blonde hair and she totally pulled that off. I thought that was hot. Um, anyway, like it's, it's a post-apocalyptic film which you never got any of that from the video game. So there's no basis really on the video games here. Uh, and there's sort of this weird, like they're the descendants of, you know, that they get these special powers from these dragon coins. And then, you know, Robert, Robert Patrick kind of being the main heavy wants those coins and all that. And yeah, I mean, there, there's some basis in this whole shadow power that's kind of in the games and everything, but it's very loose and there's not like a tremendous story in it, but there is a ton of style. Uh, you definitely got that 90s extreme spray paint everything fucking neon, you know, like, I, I mean, like that, that was all there, you know, and having this, like also Jimmy and Billy, they have a, a station wagon, which I've always loved station wagons. Uh, you know, they had the station wagon that had this, well, like it, I, what, it didn't run on garbage. It wasn't like Mr. Fusion from, uh, you know, from Back to the Future, but you know, I don't know. It just, it, it appealed to me. Like it, it felt kind of like not, not kids, but a younger person sort of escaped from LA in a way. And, and, and I think it, it kind of worked. Uh, so certainly I'm looking at it with fondness. Um, and, and, but it, you know, it had a couple things going for it. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I actually, at the time, personally, I really sort of liked the whole, you know, young people, uh, you know, kind of having their own hangout in a post-apocalyptic world, young people, meaning like 18 or whatever, you know, but younger people, obviously not, not adults. I, I, I kind of appreciated that. And Alyssa Milano didn't hurt at all. Uh, so Double Dragon, you know, I'll put that out there for 1994. I mean, that was another one. I don't think that, it might have played for a weekend. Okay. It, you know, in, in upstate New York, when that came out, like I said, Al Street Fighter only played for a couple weeks. It might've played for a weekend, but again, this is a movie has, has practically nothing to do with the video game as to where really the, um, you know, Mortal Kombat, like I said, actually did a hell of a job trying to introduce all of the elements, even the different stages and everything, you know, for the fights and all that. Uh, so Double Dragon, yeah, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to put it up there. I mean, and, and honestly, folks, there aren't a whole lot of video game movies to begin with. And certainly most of them are, you know, usually made by you bull and that's terrible. <laughs> like they're, they're just, they're so bad. So whatever, you know, double dragon, I'll, I'll give it to it at least for even like trying at the time. Like you almost want to give it the credit just for actually getting a theatrical release in 1994. I mean, now anything could get fucking made and released. Who cares? Right. But, but back then, you, you sort of had, a, you had to have a little something extra, and obviously Double Dragon had it. So, uh, so I, I enjoyed the film. Anyway, let's move on to another one. And we can fast forward on this one a little bit. And this one's going to be a little bit of a cheat, because it's not exactly live action. It did get a theatrical release. Um, I understand why a lot of people don't like this movie. 
Like, I, I, I really get it, the one I'm about to describe. And this is from 2001. But I think it... it I mean, this movie could, could definitely get labeled as notorious because a lot of what happened around the film is, is you know, really changed things. Like, I, I think if you're a gamer or certainly if you're into science fiction in general, like, the, the release of this film changed the world. And, and really things, we could be living, especially in the gaming world, we could be living in a very different landscape right now if this movie never came out. Uh, and the movie is Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. I know, there's a collective laugh being had <laughs> by all the Sovereign Tech sweaties. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and, I mean, I'll, I'll defend this movie as actually being a good movie. Like, I, I, it's not like Double Dragon where I'm like, yeah, it has elements that make it good, but it's not really that good of a film. Or like Street Fighter where, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun, you know. Uh, Street Fighter is a lot easier to defend than Double Dragon. But anyway, this is one where I will defend and say, no, I, I think this is a genuinely very good film. Uh, boring? Sure. But so the fuck what? Like, how many things aren't boring? Like, 2001. You're going to tell me 2001 isn't a boring-ass movie? Of course it is. It's all the style. Right. I mean, yeah, there, there's, you know, Kubrick does a good job of some of the intrigue and in keeping you guessing and kind of keeping you hooked. Uh, but you, you kind of get that with this movie, too. Not to say that this is in any way comparable to 2001. OK, but, you know, so it's not it's not action packed. Big fucking whoop. I, you know, I really don't care uh, about that. And what what really made Final Fantasy The Spirits Within popular. OK, and what what caused it to fail? I can I can describe both. What made it, or what made it popular, of course, was at the time Final, the Final Fantasy series was at an all-time high. I mean, it's still on a high. It's been riding a high since you know since since the PlayStation, right? With Final Fantasy VII coming out, that's definitely what allowed this to get made. Was that Final Fantasy VII was such a huge fucking deal, and people didn't expect it to be as big as it was. Um, that wow, you know, they're riding high. They made Final Fantasy VIII, which I love. You know, and and the, and they're like, well, we could take this right to the movies. But what what SquareSoft did, and at the time it was SquareSoft, it was not Square Enix, okay. Which you know, and what ended up happening is that Enix, which were the creators of the very you know the equally popular, in fact, some would argue in Japan more popular, uh, you know, Dragon Quest games. So this is before that happened, but this is actually what led to Enix buying SquareSoft. But anyway, so SquareSoft. They're like, we're going to go all the way. We are going to take all of our all of our graphic ability to the next level, okay? And we are going to make shit so lifelike. This is going to change everything. We are going to make it hard for you to tell the difference between CGI-created characters and actors, and live-action actors. And they really shot for that. And, uh, you know, with some of the characters, like... Uh, what was the what was the lead character's name? Aki? Aki Ross, right? Was was she the, the, the main one? I mean, she like that was the plan, is that she was gonna be photorealistic. And like she had, you know, like every strand of her hair, she had pores, like ten thousand pores on her face. Like this this was a huge deal. In fact, I even I bought the art book and like like I said, when I get into something, I go deep. <laughs> you know, I went all out with this one. Um, and there was a beautiful art book that was made that described a lot of and showed off a lot of how they, you know, how they were able to make, um, you, you know, just the, the lifelikeness of, of this movie. Now, it didn't deliver exactly, obviously, like, and, um, but it was unique in what it, in what it presented, okay? Well, like, with the graphical ability, I mean, they were shooting for as close to photorealistic as possible, and I think they've largely 
they largely came where you were going one, uh, you know, pretty much a hundred percent. This needs, you know, this this is an original character, but they need to look, you know, super photorealistic. Like it, it might still be sort of the closest anyone's ever really gotten. I know that now they do motion capture, and you know, you could watch the opening to Gears of War, and it, boy, it looks awfully photorealistic and all that. But th- there was something special about how SquareSoft was doing this. Uh, that that really kind of kind of put it over the top, and there hasn't really been anything since. In fact, the character models for all of the you know for all the characters created for the spirit within or the spirits within um, were reused for the Matrix uh, for the the Animatrix. There was that uh, the opening episode of the Animatrix, which was oh man, Flight of the Osiris, right? Was that what it was called? But they just reused all of the character models for that because it was still so good, you know. Like, and and you couldn't you couldn't afford to make new character models through SquareSoft's process, so they just kind of you know dialed up the ones that they had, and they used it, and it worked. I I, I think that's one of the better episodes of the uh, the Animatrix personally. Uh, so this was a really really cool movie and in fact you know i'll tell you something you might not realize this but the idea if you listen to episode 199c of sovereign tech the fictional episode the idea of the dead stop where it's this gel that you shoot out and can actually catch a person or a thing and make it come to a complete stop and you you know and and then the gel kind of dissipates and disappears i that idea was in final fantasy the spirits within like that that was an original idea from that um, so, you know, I, I, I took right from it and, and that, that stuck with me. I was like, that is a brilliant fucking idea that stuck with me for, well, now, I mean, it's 2001. So that stuck with me for 15 years. It's hard to believe this movie came out 15 years ago. Um, but yeah, anyway, the whole movie is, yeah, it's an entire environmental screed. It has nothing to do. Now here's the reason that it failed because it had nothing to do at all with role-playing or with any final fantasy game. That's why it failed. That's why, you know, that's why people are like, oh, this is terrible. If the movie was, you know, was not as action-packed, but it was starring Cloud Strife, you know, and, and Tifa Lockhart and all that, the movie would have done gangbusters and people would have loved it and they wouldn't have cared. Instead, you have to wait, you know, years later and you get Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, also a very good movie. Um, and But by that time, Final Fantasy VII, like the, the Final Fantasy craze didn't die, but the lust for anything starring Cloud had really died off. Um, and you can see this, you know, when you look at like the, the, the Vincent games, uh, you know, and, and all that, that, that didn't like really take off as well as say, um, you know, as, as say the Final Fantasy VII did, right? Uh, so, so that, that's really why I think the movie failed. I mean, because it is an awe inspiring movie. It is a beautiful film just on the visuals alone. There's nothing wrong with the acting. It's an, it's an incredible achievement of cinema. Uh, and yeah, I get it. It's like, it's a very slow paced film and the environmental message, you might hate that, you know, whatever, fine. So you do. Uh, but I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was just really cool. I mean, it's kind of a downer of a film, but so what? So many films are downers and people still love them. I, 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 don't, I don't get those, those kinds of arguments. I think the honest answer to why people don't like this movie is because it had nothing to do with Final Fantasy. It was Final Fantasy in name only. And they knew that was the only way they were going to really make money off of it. So I understand why they did it. Um, but yeah, I mean, but still, it, it's a, I think it's a great movie. Like, and, and I think it deserves, because of the, the attempt at being so photorealistic, I think it deserves to be considered a live action film. 
Like, I mean, that that's how, you know, that's how great, that's how wonderful of an achievement they were going for, I think. Uh, and, and that they largely pulled off, in my opinion. Now, if you ever get your hands on, and good luck, and, or maybe this is on YouTube, maybe you can find it. If, if you ever get your hands on the two-disc special edition, which there weren't many of those made, not, not by comparison to, to DVD standards. If you ever, and I don't know if it's on the Blu-ray either. If you ever get your, I, in fact, I had the Blu-ray and I know it's not on there, but maybe they have another edition and it is. But if you get the two-disc special edition DVD of Final Fantasy of the Spirits Within, there is an Easter egg where they have all of the characters from the movie, all, all the character animatics or models, perform Thriller. Like Michael Jackson's Thriller. They do the whole video, and it is hilarious. It is, it is wild. Um, and there's a lot of other things. I think they did a ton of shit that they've never really shown anybody. Like, I, like there's, there are, there are uh, uh, character shots of Aki Ross, the, the lead woman in it, that, uh, which, by the way, they had fantastic actors you know, involved as far as doing the voicing, Donald Sutherland, a whole bunch of others that, that really did a dynamite job. But anyway, but there are there are there are shots of the model where like a Q Ross is or you know the 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 design of a Q Ross is wearing like this black leather outfit that is nowhere to be seen. I I don't know where the fuck that came from. Like that must just be a promotional shot or something. It's sexy. Like again, you know, let's let's keep in mind here. This is supposed to be shooting for photorealism. It's a very sexy little picture, but I don't know. Like even in the art book, it wasn't really there. So I don't know where the hell that came from. But on some some covers of Final Fantasy, like cover arts, cover art of Final Fantasy and Spirits Within, you can see that. Anyway, I enjoyed the film. If you've never seen it, it's totally worth watching just for the technical achievement alone. Uh, the music is also very good. Uh, like, I, I really enjoyed the soundtrack. It's not an epic score like Final Fantasy VIII or anything, uh, but, but a very, just a beautiful little score. The, the end song is also, I, I thought it's very touching. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I enjoyed that. Of course, I mean, it wasn't Square Soft, it was Square Pictures. Now, I suppose I should say, before I get into another movie, I should say, why exactly, what do you mean by that the gaming landscape would be different um, if this film either didn't get made or if it was a success? I think, I think, I think Enix, so this, this, this movie made by what was then kind of a separate division called Square Pictures for Squaresoft. This, this movie put that company into massive financial debt because it did not do what they expected. You know, they figured it had the Final Fantasy name. It was just going to be, you know, an instant hit. It was not. Um, so because of that, the reason that Square, that Squaresoft got bought out by Enix was because of this film. Now, if Squaresoft never got bought by Enix, I cannot imagine, or if this movie ended up doing very, very well, um, I, I have a theory that the Final Fantasy games at the time were big enough that I think Squaresoft could have gotten to the point where they could have been making their own hardware. And that, like, they, they could have, they really could have become, like, their own Nintendo or their own Sega, they could have become a huge, huge deal, you know, and we could have been looking at today. We could have been looking at not like PlayStation versus Xbox versus Nintendo switch or whatever. We could have been looking at, you know, versus the square box or whatever, you know, that's a terrible name, but whatever they would have ended up calling it. Like I think Squaresoft could have potentially become one of the biggest video could have become like just this, this giant company in, in the gaming world. And that's a future we'll never really see. Because really, when Enix bought them, they just wanted, okay, let's make these, you know, tropey Final Fantasy games. Not to say the new Final Fantasy games aren't good. They are. I'm just saying that, like, now it's, let's make them, 
you know, now let's stick to the formula. Let's not try and do everything, anything too, you know, too brash. And, and that's a pity because I think they were going places uh, with, with the Final Fantasy franchise um, that, were, that could have been very interesting and that we're just never going to see. Uh, so, so that, you know, I think it's a genuinely good movie. So it, it easily sits in the top eight of, uh, you know, of, of video game films. Anyway, let's move on to another one. And I mean, let's, well, I'll be honest here. This isn't just one. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to cheat again here real quick. Uh, and that is, so normally I don't like to put in an entire series, like especially if I'm counting like favorite movies or top movies, which I guess this is more of a favorite thing than it is necessarily a top. But again, of course, value subjective. Um, but this is a film series. It's very tough to like just pick one uh, out of this. But the series is Resident Evil. Now, longtime listeners of Sovereign Tech know I'm actually a huge fan of this franchise. I love it. Not just the video games. I enjoy the video games. I enjoy, I love the novels by S.T. Perry. Uh, I've definitely been on top of the Top Cow. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't meant to rhyme or, you know, meant to have a rhythm like that. But the company, Top Cow, they did, uh, they did Resident Evil comics back in the day. Um, you know, not, not just all that, even though I do love all that. In fact, it was one of the main reasons I really got into the GameCube was that they were like, that was going to become, and it kind of shaped out that way, but then the GameCube didn't take off. I think the way people hoped it would, um, but the GameCube was really shaped up to be the Resident Evil machine. Like if you wanted to play Resident Evil, except for like the Outbreak games or whatever those were, they were on the PS2. That was the system you went to. You got the ultimate experience right there. Now, fortunately, today, you can play most of those games that were originally only on GameCube. You can play them on a, on a PC, which is great. Um, but anyway, I'm a huge fan of the series. Uh, definitely, you know, I remember playing... Uh, I played Resident Evil 2 first before, you know, as far as the, the video games themselves go. I played that first before I actually played the first Resident Evil. And in fact, I, I've never played, so the Resident Evil games, originally there was Resident Evil and then they, which is the first one, but then they came out with Resident Evil director's cut. And supposedly the director's cut took out a whole lot more. I've never played the original Resident Evil. Just, just never have. Um, it's not that big a deal because really up until the remake, um, that, that originally came out for GameCube, you know, I mean, if you could play Resident Evil 2 and then you could play Nemesis, it was like, well, just fucking stick with those, right? I mean, they're so they're so damn good. The first one doesn't offer that much greater of an experience. And the story, you could kind of get the story other way. So not a big deal for me to ever have played it. I don't know that I'd ever take the time now, certainly. But anyway, the movies, on the other hand, is a different story. The first movie was, and I, and I know I've talked about this before um, on, on Sovereign Tech, but it is so artsy. Like, I mean, it is such a stylistic film. Now, also made by Paul W.S. Anderson, who made the the movie that is definitely the number one on this, you know, top on this list, which is Mortal Kombat. Uh, the whole series is, is pretty much written and directed by him. Like, I mean, it's 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 all his his game and or you know his bag, and he's I love what he does with it. Um, so the first one, you know, like when it came out, when I saw it in the '90s, I went to theaters and saw it. And I just remember saying, I was like, you know, like this is, this sort of feels like the first movie of the MTV, like really the first movie of the MT of the nineties, like MTV generation, because there was constant flashbacks and cuts and like just 
sort of the way the narrative got expressed and the way that you learned more uh, about, you know, Mila Vovovich, uh, you know, her, her character, um, the way you found out about a lot of that, like it was just, it was very different. It was very, very clever. Uh, and it wasn't like, like there's that movie wild things with Kevin Bacon and Denise Richards and all that. I love that movie. Um, that's a very clever film because during the credits, they play for you all the things you didn't see that kind of kept you from figuring out what exactly was going on during the movie, you know, during this little crime thriller. Now resident evil doesn't do that. Okay, where, you know, it kind of shows you the missing scenes throughout of what exactly happened. But it, it kind of gives you like, like very cleverly placed back narrative. Uh, and, and there's just enough mystery and intrigue in it that, that I, I just, I think it comes off as just this very, like almost avant-garde film. And I know not a lot of people, you know, see it that way. Uh, but I, I think, I think it delivers. And the character of Alice... Uh, you know, again, played by Milo uh, Jovovich. I mean, she, awesome. You know, it's such, such an under, underrated, overlooked female protagonist. Uh, you know, when you, you talk about, you know, have, you know, whoa, can we get movies where, you know, women are the real female leads, they're the heroes and, and like, they're not worried about the dude and all, you know, about the guy in the movie and they're just out there to, you know, kick ass and chew bubble gum, Right. She's it, and she's been it for fuck twenty years. <laughs> I mean, when did when did the first uh, you know when did the first one come out? Like all right, so two thousand two, so fifteen years, you know, about shy of fifteen years. So that was two thousand two. For some reason, I thought that came out in the nineties, but anyway, phenomenal. Now, amazingly, and how this exactly happens is there's got to just be a lot more people like me or not exactly like me, but people that appreciate these movies for what they are for kind of the zombie action flicks. And that's the other thing too. understand this before, like the big zombie resurgence of media, you know, with world war Z or, um, uh, you know, what's that piece of crap show, uh, walking dead, uh, the walking dead, you know, before those things like resident evil was the zombie movie. Like, or it was the zombie media, not just the video games, but you know, the, the, the movies as well. So yeah, I don't know why they don't get more credit. You know, I, I, I guess I kind of get why some people don't like it, but I, I think they're fucking great. And they are, comp- they are almost completely unrelated to, to the video games, except for maybe Resident Evil Apocalypse, which a lot of people, that's their favorite one. Yeah. I, I mean, myself, uh, that's, that's tough. I, I don't know. I'd either give it to, I really liked retribution. I thought retribution was a great movie. That was the the most recent one that came out in 2012. And of course there's a new one that, well, I don't think it's coming out. I think that's meant to come out in 2017. The, the new one, the final chapter. Uh, that, that one looks, looks fantastic too, quite frankly. Uh, but I'll, I'll probably, you know, it's, it's a toss up between apocalypse and, and retribution. I really like retribution. So again, nothing really to do. Apocalypse has, has you know, because that's when you get Jill Valentine and all that. Like you get some of these characters into it, but they're not they're not really related at all. Uh, you know, Umbrella acts in a, in a very very different way. You have the character of the, or not the character. Yeah, it's a character of the Red Queen. Um, yeah, there's just there's a lot of clever stuff. That was another thing too. The first Resident Evil movie in 2002, like that had some really unique ideas. Like the way I mean, everybody kind of remembers that one hallway where the Red Queen is setting up the trap and she has the lasers. The Red Queen's this computer program that, that runs the hive. Um, 
And, and it has the lasers that, like, ends up cutting that, that one guy, like, into a million pieces. Like, everybody remembers that scene because it was really clever. Or people remember the opening where, like, the elevator, you know, cuts the woman in half or something. I mean, like, like there was some unique shit in this. It was a genuine thrill. Uh, thriller, I should say. Uh, so just, just to, you know, and, and when Alice starts kind of getting her superpowers and everything, I mean, that becomes really badass. Uh, and, and the action sequences, I mean, they're ridiculous. But they're but they're really well done. Like they're actually kind of thought out. They're not just stupid for stupid sake. Uh, so yeah, I I love these movies. Um, I love the style. I think they're incredibly stylish. Definitely style over substance. I'll give you that. But they are ridiculously stylish. Uh, you, you know, they in many ways they are kind of the Kiss, like as in the band. Except you know, Kiss has great songs too. But but they it's these movies are really the kiss of Hollywood in my opinion. Like like they there's just so much style, panache, and and class in these movies, and and a lot of really unique ideas that I think they stand up. They stand up very well on their own. They don't have to you know forget about the games. I mean, yeah, they're kind of you know they're working with the T virus and all that. Sure, but even without the video games, I would watch these movies endlessly. Now, of course, there are, what are there, two or three now? I, the, the third one, did that come out? I'll have to look into that. There was, so, so you had, you've, they, there were CGI films that were made um, for Resident Evil that actually followed the video games, like, almost verbatim. Uh, there was Degeneration, and, and maybe the other one was Deevolution, and I think there's a third, or uh, maybe I'm getting them confused. I know they're making a new one, I just don't know if it had come out. Um, those are fine too. Those those are those are just great, you know. But again, they're related to the video games, and so you kind of want that backstory to 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 understand, you know, what's happening in those movies. But the Resident Evil movies with with Mila, I mean, just just you know, those those stand totally alone. They do a fine job, you know. Yeah, you're not getting like any epic narrative or any epic message or something like that when you when you watch them. But they're just fun. They're just they're lots and lots of fun. Um, and, and there's, in my opinion, tremendous action involved, uh, which I find lacks in most zombie media. I, I generally don't care much for zombie media anymore. Talk about something that's saturated. Um, you know, so really Resident Evil delivers. I'm looking forward to the next one. Uh, and I, I really wish, honestly, I wish they'd keep making them. I think it's incredible that there's like six of these damn things and each one of them went to theaters, you know, and each one of them did a little bit of bank. And I was really hoping, like, <laughs> I love the end. Uh, spoiler alert, folks. I mean, it came out in 2012. Uh, but I love the end of, of Retribution where they're on top of the White House <laughs> and, like, Wesker's president. <laughs> like, I know there's no way the next movie's going to pick up after that, but fuck, I wish it would. Because <laughs> I thought that was that was hilarious. I mean, but that, that just, you know, went to show. Don't take these things that seriously. And I, you know, I guess I wonder, like, are people able to not, I don't mean turn your brain off, but for lack of a better phrase, are, are some of, are some people able to actually turn their brain off and just have a good time and like appreciate something for being ridiculous and over the top? I think, I, I'm starting to think people can't like, like, and maybe this goes to people's inability to separate fantasy from reality. Like all the people, you know, that, that hate Duke Nukem, it's like, now, I mean, if you're coming from a feminist perspective, yeah, I, I can understand why you don't like Duke Nukem. Okay, I believe me, I get that. All right, but I'm just saying, like, you know, you can't just, like, t- 
turn it off and say, this is hilarious. This is so like, talk about a hodgepodge of parody. This is incredible. Like you can't see it for that. Come on. <laughs> you know. So I, whatever, if, if people can't, you know, if people can't like just say, yeah, I, I just want to see some dumb fun, you know, like, well, I guess, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't mean to be judging. If you don't like the Resident Evil movies, you don't like them. There you go. <laughs> I don't want to get into the whole thing about, you know, like some kids were able to get out of childhood with their, uh, you know, with their imagination still intact. But I'm, not, I'm just not not going there, not going there. So I get it. Not everybody has to like every movie. You know, I just I I really don't like the look. It's just the way the critics talk about these movies like they totally miss the point. They totally see they or they totally miss what Paul W.S. Anderson is trying to do. They don't understand. Just like with uh, Jupiter Ascending, right? Like that was a movie where I remember what the critics said. Why are there suddenly these bees? Uh, hello, it's a queen, royal jelly. And also there's a historical concept like that bees, I mean, were like a symbol of royalty in Earth's history. Like, okay, so here's the problem. Critics, you're stupid. Okay? <laughs> like, like you just, you didn't get it. So, but then everybody else, you know, just believes, oh, well, the critics said it sucks, so I'm not bothering with it. Oh, what a pain in the ass. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm not saying people that don't like Resident Evil are stupid, okay? There's people who don't like Star Wars, and they sure as hell aren't stupid. Like, I, I, I understand their point, what they want out of a certain type of media. That's fine, okay? But then understand that, like I said, people can want different things out of media, okay? And, well, there you go. So, all right, uh, so we did the Resident Evil movies. I think we, we covered that well enough. Uh, like I said, probably the best one would be either, um, you know, it would either be Apocalypse or, or Retribution, though we'll have to see how the final chapter goes. You, can, you better believe I'll be doing a review uh, of the final chapter when, uh, when that comes out. And I, I think that's next year. I think that's 2017. So let's move on to another movie here. And this is, this is one that I actually did review on Sovereign Tech. Uh, and that is uh, Warcraft. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one uh, because I already did do a review of it for, for a prime episode of Sovereign Tech. Uh, Duncan Jones made this, who Duncan Jones is, of course, the son of the late, great David Bowie. Um, Duncan Jones, uh, he also made the movie Moon, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. I, I absolutely love that film. Uh, Duncan Jones is good at what he does, in my opinion. Like, this guy has, has vision when he does things. Uh, I think... Maybe, maybe he didn't exactly like, how to put this? It's funny because Warcraft, the movie Warcraft, which, you know, just came out, um, like it is, it is a movie of an impressive scope and scale. Like, like it is a huge movie, but here's the odd thing with that. Okay. That while it is a huge movie and like I said, it's very good. I, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I think there was a lot to love about it. But as far as what, what I didn't like about it, you know, like it was a huge film. But A, I don't think Duncan Jones knows what to do with things of that scale. You look at his previous movies and like they usually take place literally inside of rooms. Like or in very cramped spaces. You know, he's used to like a lot of control of the surroundings. I think that's my opinion. That's my take. And so he didn't, while the movie itself was pretty grand in scale and scope, I don't think he's he's the kind of guy that's able, at least not yet, 
to take advantage of the scope of the grandeur that Azeroth offers you, you know, that, that the Warcraft universe really offers you. And, and so that, that was sort of where I think the ball, the ball was dropped. Um, some of the characters were a little weak, sure, but there was a lot to like about that movie. Like, I got it, and, and I actually like what Christian Harloff, Warcraft was also on their top five list on Collider, you know, as far as top five video game movies. I actually like what Christian Harloff said. He said that, he's like, he says, you know, he says, I didn't like the movie, but I, under, but I knew that after I saw it, I was like, yeah, I want to see more of this. I want to see more. And that's kind of the, that, and he said he ne- he's never really said that about any other video game movie. So I agree with him on that. It's like, yeah, I, I really, I want to see a lot more of this. Like there's, there's whole, and they concentrated on the wrong time. I think they, they, they should have the war. They, they should have been, you know, the, the timeline that they should have been covering would be, would have been like Warcraft two or Warcraft three, as far as like what they should have brought to life. That would have been a lot more interesting. I, as far as I know, I think we're going to get more Warcraft movies because it did crazy bank in China, like crazy. Um, even though it, it, it flopped in the U.S. Uh, I'll be there for the next one because I was, I really liked what I saw. Um, I, I just, I thought it had a lot going for it. I thought it was pretty, it was fairly sexy, even though like, I mean, definitely a little confused and tame uh, in, in some respects. But, you know, and I, I could think of a million things I would have done different with it. But at the same time, there, there was a lot to like in that movie. Uh, and, and just to see, like, uh, just to kind of see Azeroth come to life, even though, like I said, I don't think Duncan Jones took full advantage of it, uh, was, was incredible, you know, and I, I can get into a movie for that. I can appreciate a movie for, you know, for style, uh, and, and for like bringing to life, uh, things that you're probably just never going to really see, you know, or, or not just probably, but what I mean by that is, is like, I enjoyed, and I know people disagree with me on this. I enjoyed the shit out of Gods of Egypt. Actually, I talked to one other person in New Hampshire here who he said, and this is a very discerning man. He, he said he loved that movie and he knew that I did. And so we, we kind of struck up conversation about it. Um, but yeah, you know, I love that movie partly because just when do you get to see like the grandeur of Egypt on such a scale? You don't, you know, you never, you never really, I mean, you can't <laughs> like, so it was so cool to see that. I mean, there's more to like about that movie too, but you know, and so getting to see Azeroth and, and, and a lot of that, and, and I'll admit kind of the, 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 the main female lead orc character. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I was kind of feeling that. Like, I was like, well, you know, nice work. You kind of, <laughs> That's no small feat to make an orc kind of that sexy. But anyway, the character was always sexy in the games anyway. But uh, regardless, so like I said, I don't want to spend a ton, on, a ton of time on that one. But Warcraft definitely belongs on the list um, just because I, I, I really hope there's more. I think that there's, there's a very good chance that like, you know, a couple movies in that we could really have a very special franchise on, you know, movie franchise on our hands. Uh, so I, I, you know... This is the thing, you know, this kind of goes back to something I was saying in the beginning of, can I appreciate what the creator was trying to do? Can I appreciate the potential of what was being shown? Yes, I absolutely can. Uh, and, and I want to see more, you know, of that. Uh, and, and, and I know there's more and I know there's a lot more going on And my brain can kind of fill in the blanks as far as, you know, I mean, that's something I do too. Like whenever I watch a movie, there's a lot of times where like in my head, I'll add scenes. 
<laughs> you know, now, that's not a great way to gauge a movie, right? But I'll add scenes where it's like, oh yeah, this happened. And then this happened, you know, and it sticks within the continuity of the film. Certainly I make sure of that, but you know, I, I I'll spice things up in my own mind. <laughs> Speaking of a movie that I kind of did that with, um, in that, whoo, hmm, I could tell stories around this one. I could tell stories, baby. <laughs> uh, on this list, this, you know, if I were to choose one on this list, that uh, And we've got one more after this, and then we're done. If I could choose a movie on this list that maybe I'd put in the number two slot, this would be the one I'd put in the number two slot. So I'll put it in the number two slot. So you got number one, and you got number two. Okay, and everything else is number three. Number two is Wing Commander. Woo! Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo! I love this movie. Was I biased going into it? You bet your ass, because I I am a Wing Commander nut. I mean, like, I am just crazy about the Wing Commander universe. Because it was one of the first, you know, that and Star Wars were like, and Star Trek to a degree too. But like, you, I could interact with the Wing Commander universe. I could become a part of the Wing Commander universe way more than even really I could with Star Wars or Star Trek. With, uh, you know, no disrespect to the games that, that those uh, franchises you know, developed. But Wing Commander, if you were to say, like, you know, what is the Star Wars or Star Trek of, um, you know, of the PC gaming world, I would really give, or of the gaming world in general, I would definitely give that uh, to Wing Commander. Wing Commander, talk about scope, talk about scale, talk about epic. It's got it all. These were games that, you know, were so well done. They, they were effectively movies unto themselves. And in fact, I watched them in such a fashion. Uh, you know, like Wing Commander 3 and Wing Commander 4, I have, uh, you know, like people do this where they make game movies, they post them up on YouTube and everything where it's like them playing through it and putting in all the cutscenes and everything, right? Um, I, I regularly watch Wing Commander 3 and Wing Commander 4, uh, you know, as movies um, all the time. You know, they're so good. And the movie Wing Commander, well, now there was a lot of debate around what the hell this was all about. And this was, you know, this came out in what, 90, 98, something like that. Um, so you didn't really have the internet machine where you like, you knew everything that was going on with the movie, all the details, like you didn't have a collider back then, right? That, that, that gives you all the nitty gritty, uh, entertainment tonight. I mean, anything that was released on entertainment tonight was generally, you know, that was your movie news show and everything was filtered, you know, <laughs> like you weren't getting much in the way of reality on that. Uh, so with, with Wing Commander, you didn't really know where it was going to fit. Like, what's going to happen here? Like, is this a prequel story to Wing Commander? You know, to the first Wing Commander game? Uh, or is it, you know, like, like what is this? How does this all fit in? And I remember it was still kind of confusing on what exactly it meant. Because if there used to be a... In fact, the site probably still exists. I mean, this was such a huge, very popular site back in the day. Uh, WCnews.com. Obviously, Wing Commander News. And on there, they had a Wing Commander timeline, and they actually integrated the events of the movie Wing Commander with the games. Um, And, of course, they integrated. There was a cartoon series, Wing Commander Academy, which is really, really good. Um, I keep a hard copy of that because that show matters. (laughs) Uh, But Wing... So... You know, like, like they, they counted it as part of the continuity, effectively. But there was, there was some interesting things about that. Like, because the mo- 
I, I don't know that that was ever a reality, like that that was ever Chris Roberts' idea. Chris Roberts, of course, being the creator of Wing Commander. Um, the, the movie itself, you know, like has introduces some very new things. It changes up a ton of the designs. So I, I like, I mean, the tiger claws in it, but it doesn't look anything like the tiger cloth, say from Wing Commander 2. Uh, you know, a lot of this stuff, just, it just wasn't there. So, or it wasn't the same. So I think this is really meant to be a separate continuity. And, and, that, and honestly, that's fine. Uh, because what it delivered was, it, it delivered a subplot that I just so fell in love with. I mean, you can't imagine. Like, I identified with it big time. Um, that, that really never, you never got a whiff of it or a hint of it in the game. And in fact, it probably would make the games not make sense anymore if the subplot was built into it. And what the subplot was with, with the movie Wing Commander was the idea of the pilgrims. Okay, and the pilgrims were these first spacefaring humans that left the Earth, you know, a couple hundred years from now or whatever. And they, um, they start to, like, evolve. And they have abilities to where, like, they can feel magnetic fields. And they can navigate space and they can navigate wormholes, you know, and all this, all this different shit. Um, and so, but the thing is, is that they start to feel like they're like a superior race and that they need to... Uh, you know, they, they declare independence from, from the Terran, uh, you know, the Terran Confederacy and all that. And then there's kind of a war between the Terrans and the Pilgrims, you know, between Earth and the Pilgrims. Uh, I mean, just a fascinating subplot that the movie doesn't go into deeply enough. But you find out that in this, you know, kind of the main character from the video games, that being Christopher Blair, is a Pilgrim in the movie and is played by uh, Freddie Prince Jr., uh, and then you have, uh, of course, Maniac from the games that you know, which is, you know, Blair's kind of best friend, uh, played by Matthew Lillard, which those two were kind of the, the hot item during the 90s, right? Because of Scream and all that other shit. Uh, so, uh, so you had that. And, and I mean, you had David Warner in it, who he played Admiral Tolan, which was originally Malcolm McDowell. I can't imagine why they didn't let bring on Malcolm McDowell. It just would have made sense. But whatever. Um David Warner did fine. Uh, yeah, the, the main thing here with, with this movie, I mean, it, it was kind of your standard, you know, sort of space action fair in a way. But there was that, here's where, like I, I, like I was telling you about how, you know, what was the creator trying to parlay? And like, can you see what they're trying to say? Is there more to this movie that you're kind of just getting hints at, but you know are, are there, you know, that it's part of the story? All of this is true for Wing Commander. Uh, you know, Chris Roberts, he definitely had like a big plan in mind. He was definitely looking to make a trilogy. Um, and you can really appreciate the movie a whole lot more if you read. So there was a trilogy. It actually didn't, it didn't exactly work out to be a trilogy. But Peter Tellip, um who is an author, he, he's, he's done a few different things uh, for, for various franchises. But anyway, uh, like he wrote the books for uh, Descent, the, game, the video games Descent, which I love those books. Uh, but Peter Tellip, he, uh, he, you know, he wrote like, he wrote the, he did the novelization for the movie. And then he did Pilgrim Stars, which was a sequel. And then he also wrote Pilgrim Truth. But the thing is, is Pil Pilgrim Truth never actually got, never got published. But, you could get it online. Like you could find, you, you could get like kind of the rougher, rougher draft and it's great. It, it's a fucking awesome book. Pilgrim stars is an awesome book too. 
And the reason that these books are so good is because, you know, you're getting more of that story. You're, you're getting, you're picking up on that subplot that you knew was so cool in, in the movie Wing Commander, which was, uh, you know, the story of the pilgrims. Uh, I mean, and they were really planning on some big stuff. Like I even have, there's a Wing Commander technical manual for the movie. I have it. Um, when you read the novelization for Wing Commander for the movie, uh, there's there's a ton of scenes cut out. There's there's other subplots that just aren't even like in the film, even though some of it was filmed. We do know that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of a miracle that the movie even got made and that it even ended up in theaters. In fact, really kind of its claim to fame was that they were playing the episode one trailer before it. So, <laughs> which I mean, which is kind of fitting because who played Colonel, you know, who played Christopher Blair in the video games? Mark Hamill. So, you know, if you got Luke Skywalker, I mean, this is effectively, you know, Mark Hamill property, even though he wasn't in the movie. Well, shit, it just makes sense, uh, you know, to, to, to play a, something Star Wars in, in the opening. Uh, speaking of the opening, that's the other thing, too, with this movie. One of the greatest soundtracks ever made. Just David Arnold and Kevin Kiner, they, they, which Kevin Kiner, his, his work now is famous for he scores all of... Um, uh, all the animated Star Wars uh, shows. Like he does the Clone Wars, he does Rebels, and he does great work. Like the music is great in that. Uh, so kind of, you know, really like, you know, Ernest Chops doing Wing Commander and Boy Diddy because that is just a just top floor soundtrack. The opening theme is so goddamn good. It's worth it for the soundtrack alone. So, but, but the movie just like, you could tell that there's so much going on that you're getting hints of. And when you, when you start to realize what those hints are, when you start to put all that together, you really start to love the movie because then you're like, oh yeah, but this is going on. Oh yeah, there's this, you know? And then, and then like, when you read the books, when you read Pilgrim Stars and Pilgrim Truth, like you can't imagine not having the movie. You know, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe the book fleshes things out better and the book is somehow better. So maybe you just want to end up with that book. But that is one of the best book trilogies I've ever read. Like, bar none. Peter Tellup's a hell of a fucking writer. Like his, uh, you know, like I said, I love his Descent books and he's he's done other series too, but uh, damn. <laughs> so I thought that that was really cool. And also, like... You know, the other nice thing is that in the in the sequel books for the movie Wing Commander, you end up with, uh, I mean, you get some very, very sexy moments. I mean, like sex scenes are not, uh, you know, are, are, you know, not off the table or they might be on the table. <laughs> they are on the table. Oh, it's f- fantastic. So I, I love that movie. Um, I, I think it's I actually think it's really good. I think it has a lot of very interesting ideas. Um, and again, take it as a cohesive whole. That there was meant to be more, you can experience more of it, and when you do experience more of it, then like suddenly this is this is a masterpiece. This is a science fiction piece of brilliance. You know, once you put all that together. Um, again, not exactly related to the games, you know, and in fact, even the the sequel books don't have a whole lot to do with the games because, and maybe this is why people felt like that they could fit within the continuity, because you get very little about the Kilrathi. Uh, which are the main heavy, you know, kind of the main villains in uh, in the Wing Commander video games uh, until you get to Wing Commander Prophecy, then it's different. But, uh, you know, it's fine. Like, it's really okay that the Kilrathi are kind of playing, you know, they're kind of on the back burner, kind of like they would be in Wing Commander Privateer or something, right? So, I yeah, I think that, that 
that those are fantastic. I mean, honestly, like if you could count, and I mean this, yeah, it'd be interesting to do. It'd be interesting to do a list of like full motion video games, like top eight full motion video games, because you could all. Yeah, you know, I kind of wonder. Like, could you almost count Wing Commander three or Wing Commander four, or even Prophecy as being like? Are those really just movies? They're interactive, but they're just movies. I mean, they they didn't get a theatrical release, so no. But I mean, Wing Commander four had full sets. Like, this wasn't all green screen or anything. Like, this was a major production. This was just like making a film. In that case, I think most people would agree that probably Wing Commander 4 is the greatest video game movie of all time. Like, if, if, that, if that could get counted, <laughs> then, then that would win. Uh, like, that would easily beat Mortal Kombat, actually, because just the tremendous uh, acting, you know, Malcolm McDowell, uh, uh, oh, f- fuck, who played Biff? The guy that plays Maniac in it, I, I can't think of his name. Some, something not brown. Tom... Whatever, I can't think of it. But the guy that played Biff in Back to the Future, he plays Maniac. Uh, he was, you know, he was great. Mark Hamill, obviously, is great. And they even had porn actresses playing parts in the Wing Commander games. Seriously, actual porn actresses. It was great. Uh, you had, uh, you had uh, Brian Reese davies uh, or John Reese davies Sorry, not Brian. I was thinking of Brian Blessed. Those two guys confuse me all the time. Uh, John Reese davies was in it. I mean, you just, you had everything to make it. So, after a fashion... Wing Commander 4, The Price of Freedom, is actually the single greatest uh, video game movie ever made. How about that? <laughs> Especially with Black Lance. Oh, fuck yeah. That was so cool. <laughs> um, all right, so that, let's, let's do number eight here. Let's get a, an eighth film in. And this is where I'm really going to cheat. Uh, because this movie was not made by a professional studio. This movie was not in theaters. It wasn't even on TV. This was something totally fan-made. And it was put on YouTube. You can still watch it to this day. I might put the link in the show notes for you to watch it. It came out in 2010, which is, you know, that makes it a little special for it to be like very well done and for the effects and everything to look good. Because 2010 was kind of before, you know, anybody could make a good looking movie with their smartphone, pretty much. I, I, I think that's fair. Uh, and the movie is Mega Man. Of course, based off of the Mega Man games. Now, because, and this is important to bring up, (laughs) because it's made by fans of the Mega Man series, not ironically, this movie, out of all the ones we've talked about in this episode, is the closest to the source material. Like, and it's super fucking close. Uh, And, I mean, you can tell that it's not a Hollywood production. Because, I mean, sometimes, you know, some of the fan shit that gets made these days easily rivals what Hollywood does. Like, it's not even a question. Um, As to where this one, yeah, you can tell. You can tell fans made it, but it's so good. Proto Man's in it. Roll's in it. Uh, I mean, like, all the characters you can think of, all the powers you can think of, everything you imagine. I mean, there's points where where the effects look a little rough, but it works. It's, I mean, it is really, really good. And they even play, uh, they, what is it, Brental Floss, right? Isn't that the guy that makes uh, that makes songs out of video game music? He was really popular on YouTube a few years ago. Uh, Brental Floss even contributes kind of the, 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 the ending track where it's a song about Mega Man. And that was really great. But, like, it was so good to have Proto Man in it. And, it like, it worked. Like, they, they played off of everything to where, you know, Proto Man was kind of a, kind of a, because Proto Man's always been my favorite character. In, in the Mega Man series. Um, 
I just I love the shield. I think that's so cool. I mean, it, it's kind of a Captain America thing, but I I think it works. Uh, I, ever since I just remember playing Mega Man three, and you hear that whistle. I can't whistle right now, but anyway, that's you, you know you hear that whistle and you knew who was going to be Min, and there was Proto Man, and it's like oh fuck yeah, this this guy is serious and he's red, and like you know it's not the blue bomber, oh so good. So <laughs> uh, anyway, this movie, like, you know, no big name actors whatsoever. Like, there's not a whole lot to talk about. Again, the production level is isn't you know isn't top flight, but the heart. And the the adherence to to kind of the to, you know the canonicity to, to to the game series to the source material the fidelity to the source material and just like for doing an actual like a really good story like it was a genuinely good story I got to give it to it like I mean slow I remember after I watched it I watched it when it came out in 2010 and I I did a slow clap I was sitting at work and I was just like oh, fuck holy shit. It's like somebody made a good video game movie, you know, which is kind of what we've been talking about this whole time. But what I mean by that is somebody made a video game movie that like really stuck to to the sort again to the source material that really tried to make it like the games as much as you could. And boy, if somebody gave this guy a budget, that movie I, that movie could have done easy would have been doing six figures in 2010, like like probably big time six figures. Because I, I just thought it, it was just that well done. Great script. Um, so I'll see if I can put the link in the show notes uh, for it. It's a movie I keep around. Like I have a you know, movies folder where I keep all my movies and everything on a hard drive. And there really aren't many in the way of fan films that I, that I put in that. But this is one. Yep. It stands right up there. Absolutely. This is, this is a movie as much as any movie is in my opinion. Uh, so I love it. Yeah, the 2010 Mega Man movie. Uh, there was another one that came out a little little while after for Sonic the Hedgehog, but it was only it was short. It was like 15 minutes, and I think they had Jaleel White, who remember he played uh, you know Urkel, Steve Urkel, and uh, was that was that Family Matters? Anyway, played Steve Urkel, um, and uh, he, like that was good. That Sonic movie was actually that was pretty good too, um, but. But the Mega Man one, like for making a full-on movie, I mean, they just they really delivered on that. I just I thought it was I thought it was dynamite. So anyway, there there you have it. There's there's our top eight. Uh, again, number one, Mortal Kombat. Number two goes to Wing Commander, definitely, and everything else you know falls down uh, falls down beneath. And we'll just read them off here. Street Fighter, of course, Double Dragon, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. If I could count, like you know, Advent Children would have made this list if it fell under kind of the criteria because uh, I, I really enjoyed Advent Children as well. Um, Resident, the Resident Evil series, the whole thing, again, it was either, you know, Apocalypse or Retribution being the top ones. Uh, Warcraft and, uh, and of course, uh, like we were just talking about the 2010 Mega Man. Uh, I, I just, I hate to call it a fan film. I'll say the independent production. Uh, it's so, so, so good. Now, there, I mean, there's obviously been others. There was the Mario Brothers movie, Yeesh. Uh, <laughs> that's one of those ones where, because I think everybody thinks that I'm just some kind of contrarian and I just, I like everything that people hate. That's just not true. Everybody hates Mario Brothers. I hate it too. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm totally with you. It's terrible. Um, as far as, you know, like what, I guess a good question to ask is, is that like, what is, maybe I'll give myself a quick top three here. 
what are the top three games that should be made into movies? Uh, two of those answers are easy, and I think anybody would come up with them. Uh, that being Zelda, you know, Legend of Zelda and Metroid. That, those are no-brainers. Like, there, there is no, there's really no good reason that they haven't been. Uh, in fact, you've already had commercials. I mean, 15 years ago, you know, 20 years, however long ago, you had commercials for Zelda, that, or not Zelda, um, for, uh, uh, for Metroid that looked so good where a person was in a suit running around and it looked fantastic. And, I mean, we're, the people is ready, as they say. Not are ready. The people is ready, uh, you know, for, for a Metroid movie. It's time. Uh, so i definitely love to see that. I really could see, uh, you know, Legend of Zelda film. There was, of course, that little trailer that was made called The Hero of Time that looked really good, where it's kind of a fan production showing off what Zelda could be. And I, I thought that was great and just, you know, got everybody hyped up for the possibility. Um, I, yeah, I, I could see that. As far as on the number three slot, uh, I know the the easy ones, I mean, they're already making an Uncharted movie. You already have an Assassin's Creed movie coming out. I don't, I don't know, you know, who knows how good those are, those are going to be. You know, they might, both of those might end up like Prince of Persia and just be terrible films, you know. Uh, uh, this is a tough question. Like, like what, what is the third one I'd go with? I know a lot of people want to say Metal Gear Solid. I love the Metal Gear series. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing like full-on films over that. But I, I feel like there's got to be there's got to be something else that I would you know that I really want to see turned into turned into a movie. Um, I'd love to see One Must Fall 2049. That I always played that like a movie in my head. Uh, that that would be a great one, but nobody knows what that game is. It's a PC game, and so I I don't I don't really see that happening. StarCraft could certainly make for a great movie, like Zerg on film, please. <laughs> or you know the Dark Templars or whatever you know with uh, um, you know the Protoss, like StarCraft. I mean, but those those are kind of easy. I'm trying to think of something not so obvious that would really make for a great video game movie. Uh, Rival Schools would be a good one. Uh, I already mentioned Soul Calibur, that that needs to happen. That That's that's easy. Uh, same with Tekken. Well, you've had Tekken movies. You know, I forgot about those. So those movies aren't half bad. Uh, there's a couple Tekken movies out there now. They they made a sequel. And they, I think Kerry Tagawa was in those. He plays Hayachi. Uh, those, those movies are not terrible. <laughs> I don't think they got released in theaters, so they probably wouldn't have qualified for my list. Um, but not bad. Not not bad. I'll I'll lay that out there. Certainly better than the Dead or Alive film with Eric Roberts. Definitely better than that. Uh, I, you know, understand. I watch all of them. Like I mean, any any video game movie. You know, because I'm like I say, I'm a gamer first before anything else in my life. Um, you know, I I watch these things. <laughs> like any any one that comes out, even if I I can like tell just by looking at it, oh, this is going to be terrible. Like I watched Blood Rain. I watched all those. You know, I I get it. Uh, yeah, man. They're remaking Tomb Raider. The Tomb Raider movies were good. I like the Tomb Raider movies. I, I wouldn't put them in my top eight, uh, but I, I thought they were very good. Just because, I mean, Angelina Jolie did fine, but uh, you needed somebody else at that at that time. You really did. You, you needed, like, um, I mean, I don't know how well she could do. She'd have to dye her hair, and I don't know how well she could do with a British accent, but you needed, like, Christina Hendricks or something, you know, rocking that. That's, that's, that's really how that should have gone down. Uh... Yeah, damn. 
I'm, I'm really trying to think of, of, of something that I'd love to see as, as a movie that that's kind of rare, but I'm having a hard time coming up with it. <laughs> All right. I, I won't hold you guys off any, any longer on that. You can let me know if you want, you know, what you think would, would make, would make a really, uh, you know, a really great one. Um, I mean, like I could see some very funny films like Jazz Jackrabbit. That could be very funny. Oh, this one's obvious. Duke Nukem needs a fucking movie. So bad. Like that should just be. It's, it's, it's preposterous that it's not. Oh, top of the list. <laughs> that just needs to be a movie. That needs to be the atrocity of the year. And I, and I mean it. Like that needs to be so bad it's good. That needs to be like, like, you know, whoever made Hobo with a Shotgun, great movie. Whoever made that, get them making the Duke Nukem movie because they could do it right. If you've never seen Hobo with a Shotgun with Rucker Hauer, that was, that was phenomenal. Um, yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. We need a Duke Nukem movie. So anyway, enough, enough, enough. So I hope you enjoyed this this little this little trip. You know, just kind of going down the list. Something fun for you to listen to. I didn't expect it to go for an hour and 45. Uh, but there it is. I can run my mouth, baby. Especially when I'm talking geeky shit. So uh, anyway, you'll have a, a new Sex and Science Hour this week. Of course, a new Sovereign Tech. Um, if you're wondering about the new interstitials, don't worry. They are coming. Uh, I have something very special planned uh, for that. So, but the way things have, have shaped up lately, like I wouldn't be running them in the show anyway. So it's not like you're necessarily missing out. Uh, so but when you get to them, or when you, when you finally, when we finally get to them, I'm sure you'll love them. Uh, so there you have it. Anyway, I'll see you on the other side, everybody. Woo! <laughs> Thank you for being a patron. Just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.